All right, we're recording, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Talking Smack with Ricky Mac. Uh, that is the title right now. I'm sticking to it. Uh, I think I, I think that'll be fine. I could always change it later. Watch me change it in like five episodes, maybe a year. That'd be dope if I do change it in a year, because that means I've been doing this shit for a year. Or I took a long break and started it up in a year. But, uh, yeah, welcome back to Talking Smack with Ricky Mac. Oh, is my gain going a little high? Let me turn my gain down a little bit. All right. Uh, man, I need to stop saying, uh. Um, <laughs> bad habit. I'm here to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. I did pull up some tabs on my guest browser so you don't see weird searches pop up from my past. Um, yeah, I uh, mentioned a little bit, talked about John Cena and stuff in the first pilot episode. It was like a 30-minute ramble, getting comfortable, having a little whiskey, too. Cheers for you non-sobers. Yeah, I, I uh, have been getting more into philosophy. I vaguely talked about it in the last podcast, and uh, I have gotten into it more. I have yet to read any books. I did start on the John Hype book or whatever, uh, uh, something something in pursuit of ha- something about happiness stuff. I was reading it before bed or sometimes, but I, I need to get back on that. But I have gotten into philosophy. I've been listening to episodes of Philosophize This. Uh, podcast at work which is really dope I, you know i started from the beginning i think i listened to maybe the most recent episode and then went started from the beginning from that one and uh, i miss this stuff i miss thinking about these things and i joked about it i think i did i joked about it in the last podcast of just like it's a fun thing to get into if you want to feel smart because you can pretend to understand especially when someone digests it and regurgitates it into your mouth, like you're the baby bird, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go repeat this to someone later. It's fun. You go have a drink with people and just start talking about it. Although, don't pretend you know, you know? You know? Don't be that person. It's usually, it's a dude. It's usually always a dude. It's usually a dude that's really into craft beer and a big beard and glasses. And I'm describing a buddy right now, should he listen to my podcast, and he'll... <laughs> You'll feel attacked, but it's funny. It's worth, it's worth it. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've gotten back into it. I've gotten back into like pursuing this stuff, like not just philosophy, like religions and things like that. Like for instance, Buddhism. Like here, I'll pull up a my window capture here for those of you who get access to the video version of this podcast. Um, so here is a book called Living Buddha, Living Christ. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to, like, full screen this bad boy. Uh, I don't know why it's not full screening. Oh, I didn't properly. It doesn't matter that much. But Living Buddha, Living Christ. Uh, uh, don't click over there. Click over here. Uh, this is, I believe, the version I bought. Kind of cheap now. Well, at least from thrift books, it's kind of cheap right now. Um. This is a book that my oldest brother, I forget if he bought it for me or if he gave it to me. It's by, it's by Thich Nhat Hanh. I'm probably butchering the name. He's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And uh, he talks about comparing Catholicism, specifically, I think, Catholicism and Buddhism. And back, back when I was like um, 18, 19, 
back when I was like 18, 19, I was like looking into all this. Oops, I moved the wrong video, wrong size of the video. Uh, back when I was like 18, 19, fix that up a little bit. Um, I was reading this book. I was, uh, I was going to church. I went back to church at like 18, maybe, maybe seven. I think it was like 17, maybe 17, 18, maybe 16. I forget the timeline. I would go to church. I'd go to like some, at, at most like Bible study, but then I would, I would help in the youth mass at my ch- local church, Catholic church. Um, and I would, I would also re learn a little bit about Islam. I was also, I had, uh, Muslim friends in high school, like from various backgrounds, like some of them were Egyptian, some of them were like Palestinian and stuff like that. And multiple friends. And I even like practiced, like tried to practice Ramadan accurately. Like I was trying to look for answers. I thought I was trying to look for answers. I practiced Ramadan. I would go with my friend Muhammad and his, his family invited me. His family would take me to two, uh, two years in a row I think one was my senior year and one was after high school and he would invite me with his family to celebrate Eid. It's the end of Ramadan where you all break fast together and you eat like a date and you go party and you have fun. It was pretty cool. It, it, it felt as much as it was a different religion, it felt similar to Catholicism. It it felt like brownish people. That took, like, Muslims felt like brownish people, kind of like Mexicans, kind of like Latinos, but they took the religion more seriously. Like, Latinos take it seriously, but they don't study it the same as uh, Muslims. If I'm stereotyping, Muslims study their religion much more in-depth than Catholics do, and everybody knows that about Catholics. Everybody knows Catholicism has become cultural. And Islam is kind of cultural, of course, probably, but it's also people study it. They read it. You know, they read the Quran. I've probably read the Quran. Now, I haven't read the Quran more than I read the Bible, but I read the Quran a little bit, forgot all of it, forgot most of it. I do remember living Buddha, living Christ. But that is to say, to get back to my original point, around that time, I was learning about Islam. I was practicing I wasn't really practicing Islam, but I was learning about it and I would try to I would try to fast during Ramadan and try to be disciplined. And I would also be learning about Buddhism. I think Buddhism, I read this book, Living Buddha Living Christ. And I read like the twelve steps to spiritual awakening or something. I don't know if it was this book. I think one of my buddies, uh I think it was Taylor Hawkins in high school. Shout out. Um so Mohammed El Shwake and I mean maybe I shouldn't be like saying people's names straight up. Uh, some dude named Mohammed, <laughs> ironically, of course. Mohammed's the most common name in the in the world. This is a super bad reference for you guys. So my buddy Mohammed, I would go and celebrate uh, Ramadan with his family, celebrate Eid, and I think it was my buddy Taylor, just like white dude from Indiana, and he I think he told me about a book on Buddhism. Like, it was like eight steps or something. I don't know if it was 12 steps. Something like that. And I remember reading it. And I remember having it in my Spanish class. And my Spanish teacher, uh, Senor Gubbins, would, we, he would talk to me about philosophy. And he would entertain my curiosity. Because it is a little weird for for a high schooler 
it is a little weird for a high schooler to like philosophy that much. It felt that way, at least. It seemed that way. Because who, who did, what other teenager did I have? I had no other teenage friends to talk to about this. Not that I even understood it. Like, he, my, my Spanish teacher, he would see me reading Buddhism. And I think he let me borrow, like, several books. But he let me borrow Plato's Republic. I could not for the life of me. And like, I wish I could tell you I understood what Plato's Republic. I have an idea, right? I read Plato's Apology. I knew, I knew, I knew more of that was more digestible. But Plato's Republic was just like, it was hard to digest for me. That was way beyond my comprehension, my intellect or my reading level. I just, all it did was grow my vocabulary. <laughs> But that's it. I learned about piety. I learned about different things. I learned about the word enmity. Enmity or enmity? I think it's enmity. Let's look it up. Or enmity. Enmity. Yeah. A state of feeling or being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. I remember, like, learning that word and be like, I learned something. That's how hard Plato's Republic was for me to to learn. That shit was difficult. But I would read all that stuff. And I remember enjoying it, but I was, I was trying to find an answer. I thought like I even had like, like a crescent moon and star necklace around my wrist. I had my, my, uh, Jesus cross on my neck. That was my dad's that my mom let me, let me wear. And I had Buddhist prayer beads on my right hand. Yeah, I was, I was the walking coexist bumper sticker and that is pretty damn embarrassing now it is it is embarrassing to be uh someone that thinks they understand but it was cool that i was trying to learn i do respect that version of myself like i was trying to be too smart like i was missing the point of this sometimes but i did learn stuff like in living buddha living christ he was like Thich Nhat Hanh, he was a Buddhist monk. I believe he was from Vietnam, if I remember correctly. And he went to go learn about Catholicism. And, you know, Buddhists get this, Buddhists in general get this reputation, at least in the Western world, of being like super, like, super, like, compassionate and empathetic and understanding and non-judgmental. But even Buddhist monks, when they found out Thich Nhat Hanh was, like, partaking in the Eucharist at Catholic masses. They're like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Like you're getting, what? Like you're partaking in the body of Christ. You're eating crackers with the Catholics, like, and drinking wine and crackers. Who are you? And he's like, I remember he's just really matter of fact. He's like, look, these are all just different paths to the same thing. Cause like Catholics view the Eucharist and, and the blood of Christ, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ as a way to reach like, levels of compassion or of, of the Holy spirit or whatever. I, you know, I'm not as clear as I used to be on the understanding of this stuff when I was younger, surprisingly, but he viewed Catholics participating in, in the Eucharist, the blood and body of Christ as an attempt, the same attempt to reach some sort of spiritual enlightenment as Buddhists had with meditation and their enlightenment. And he's like, we just have different words for the same exact thing. Look, I don't, I'm not saying pick a religion. I'm not saying I'm religious now. I'm saying this book was pretty damn pivotal of like, why are you so caught up on the path you chose? Why? And, and needing under other, 
needing people not to be curious about different paths and needing people to validate your path you chose. Because I remember I would go to my church and I would have debates with people. We'd have like, like Bible study or youth group nights before or after our youth mass. I think it was after our youth mass. I used to lecture at my church. More on that later. It was also pretty fun. I used to lecture and, and it was kind of cool. I wanted to believe. I had a lot of trouble believing even since I was a kid. Even in, even in catechism for like first communion stuff, I had trouble like really fully believing in Catholicism or religion in general. Even as a kid. Maybe it had something to do with my dad dying. I don't know. But that is the fact of the matter. And he saw it as a very similar thing with different verbiage, different vocabulary for the same pursuit. Some peace, some enlightenment, some some freedom. I don't know. Maybe not freedom. I don't know. Some resolve from the angst of existing. Because all these things, you know... Everybody ends up talking about how existence is pain, Jerry. You know, it's like the Meeseeks and uh, Rick and Morty. Uh, existence is pain and all that shit, all that jazz. It, I, I just, this stuff was rewarding. And I never had to be right, even when I wanted to. That's the weird thing. Like, I caught, caught up in being right for a long time. And then I realized, like, learning about all this shit and just debating. Like, debating is not inherently argument. Like, arguing isn't inherently bad. Like, people take it. Pe- people say the word argument as a bad thing now, but arguing arguing could just be debating points or, like, literally arguing the merits of things. It doesn't mean, like, you're like, fuck you. You don't agree with me. Uh, we all do that, though. But it was it was very, like, like, enriching. And these are things that validated me because I didn't want to make up my mind. I'm incredibly indecisive, but I just never fully believed in any of anything, any one thing. Because I would go to my like youth group nights or my Bible study bullshit. And like, I wanted to believe, but there were so many people that were either too afraid. Like, what is my podcast going to be about? Jesus Christmas. It's not even funny. Uh, There was too many people that were either too afraid to stand out for their doubts and their lack of faith about your lack of faith disturbing, you know, like, and I would stand out and I would be indignant sometimes. Cause even some of my friends that I really liked that I would hang out with all the time, like they would just be like indignant and be like, we are right. And everyone else is wrong. Like, you don't think that's, you don't think that's odd that everything you chose is right. And everything everyone else chose that isn't what you chose is wrong. Everything everybody else chose is wrong. And you got everything right. You got everything right. You got Jesus. You got the Dodgers. And you got like McDonald's. And all of that's valid. And you chose it all correct. Like on your first try? Really? Oh, wow. You're like, wow, you're so Christ-like. Oh, man, that's impressive. So I would argue with, I would argue. And it's just like, some of it was just like teenage semantics arguments, but it's also like arguing about the necessity of the church. And I would even start arguing, like talking about like the Nag Hammadi, the Gnostic Bible or Nag Hammadi Bible. Oh, that's something I should have Googled uh, earlier. Gnostic gospel or Bible Gnostic 
yeah, Gnostic Gospels. We'd start. I'd start bringing that stuff up. The story of the storytellers. As discussed, oh, this is Da Vinci Code type shit. Uh, Nag Hammadi, Nag Hammadi Bible. Oh, excuse me. Nag Hammadi Library, also known as Chinoboshkian Manuscripts, and the Gnostic Gospels, a collection of early Christian and Gnostic texts discovered near the upper Egyptian town of Nag Hammadi in 1945. And, and 13 leather mound papyrus buried in a sealed jar found by a farmer, Muhammad al Salman. His writings and his code, codices. Man, I'm probably butchering that word. Comprise 52 mostly Gnostic treaties, but they also include three works belonging to Corpus Hermeticum and a partial translation alteration of Plato's Republic. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> and uh, uh, so these codices, codices, or whatever, may have belonged to a nearby Pacomian monastery when buried after St. Athanius's condemned the use of non-canonical books in his festal letter of 30, 367 A.D., the discovery of these texts significantly influenced modern scholarship's pursuit of knowledge of early Christian Gnosticism. They were written in the Coptic language, but it's known that these were supposed to the Gospel of Thomas. So basically, like, they're just, they're just books of the Bible that might not have made it. Look, there's going to be people that know this shit way more than I do. Um, they're, they're different parts of the Bible that didn't make it into their the editor left them out or took them out because it didn't fit. And there was even stories of like Jesus being a dick and using his magic, like an ass, like his powers, like an asshole in some of these texts. I remember that. If I remember correctly, he would, Jesus was a bit of a dick and they just took it out. Cause imagine if Harry Potter was more of an asshole in the Harry Potter series, they wouldn't, they would take that out knowing, you know, what's her name? Uh, J.K. Rowling, the turf herself. Uh, <laughs> shout out Tintin. Um, it's a someone who made that reference recently. It was very funny. Um, I would bring up like the Gnost the Nagamati, the Gnostic Bible Gospels and stuff like that, and they would just tell me that's dangerous. People that were supposed to know a lot of things and were supposed to be firm in their faith, they they were afraid of entertaining these things and as a teenager you don't tell a teenager it'll be like don't look into that and i'm like i'm gonna look into it don't, don't tell me what not to do you know like ah, so ridiculous it's also brings back to the point i might have tried to make earlier of what was the point i was trying to make earlier oh yeah some of these people they could hold on to people and their faith longer with whatever belief system you have you could like I'm not even trying to give you tips, but it's upsetting how bad these people can be at times to trusting people to keep their own faith because they would they wouldn't allow doubt. They wouldn't allow a healthy amount of doubt in the belief system, which if you're not allowed to have some doubt, you just feel like a liar and a bad person because you don't fully believe it. And it ends up pushing you out. Not everybody can pray their doubts away. Like, you, you can't pray your doubts away. Like, you can't pray the gay away. We know this doesn't work. It just leads people to hiding or leaving or doing being, being worse people. Like, you can't, you can't deny thing, deny reality. Like, 
Like it was just so interesting how how just pursuing anything outside of what you were taught and these people value was always considered wrong and dangerous. There's no sense of entertaining any moral or valid or ethical truth of any other text. It's like, I I remember like making this point often when I was younger of just like, and it's still valid. Like nobody monopolizes truth. Nobody monopolizes. These are really old arguments I had, but nobody monopolizes truth or evil. Even if you believe in God and the devil, the only people that could monopolize good and evil is God and the devil themselves. Right? So why couldn't, Everything else in between that be a meld of it. Like, it goes back to yin-yang. Like, Eastern Eastern philosophies, Eastern religions, they make up these points of there's always some, even not even a value judgment, but I'm, I guess I have to make the value judgment here of good and bad. Some good contains some bad, and bad contains some good. Like, it's never what you want it to be. And to pretend it's black and white, you push people out. And it just goes to politics now. Like, you can't, you can't pretend there's all good in one side and all bad in the other. You can't do that. Because you just kind of, some people go along with it. Some people want to wear their jerseys. And some people want to fucking party and hard and be, be tribal. And some people will wear the hat they want to wear hardcore but i'm not talking to, to them it's hard to reach them like i'm talking to the middle even the more fringe parts of the middle not not the full extremes like you have to start acknowledging that everything has some value and everything has some shit in it like i don't know i'm getting preachy but this is all very very fun because you get to learn about, like, even just in Buddhism, you get to learn about this stuff. And why does it take some Buddhists to, like, start seeing the relativism? Like, not full relativism, just see how people had, different groups of people had to find a path forward through the shit of existence. Because <laughs> even if it's just crazy right now, like, it's still kind of nice compared to what it was. Like, we have... A way higher quality of living. Are we all stressed like a motherfucker? For sure. But we do have a way higher quality of living. And we have to find a way forward between this mass anxiety and stress that will always continue to exist. Like the great Buddha. You know, he was a prince and he had hoes and money and al probably alcohol. And, you know, he was in India partying it up in a palace because his 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 father talked to like some seer or something. I forget the exact story. He talked to like this fortune teller or something, and the guy was like, "Your son." He's talking to the king. He's like, "Your son, Siddhartha Gautama, is either going to be a great military leader and will unite all of India, if I remember the story correctly, or he's going to become a super dope priest or like super dope religious figure." And his dad's like, "Well, I don't want some lame ass kids. So I'm just going to hide him in the palace." Hook him up with hoes and drugs and whatever, whatever he wants. He can't even, he won't even have a desire unmet until he goes traveling in the real world by, by rickshaw or whatever, by, by like he's getting like little horse carriage 
and he sees like all the suffering and then he wants to fix it because that's an anomaly to him. Yeah, the dad actually, it's always funny when you try to avoid something, it's when you set it up that way. It's such a human thing of like trying to avoid a mistake instead of trying to avoid a mistake, trying to do the job right. And yes, we're all the same. But that's what his that's what his fucking dad did. His dad was like trying to avoid him becoming a priest, and he's like, "Hey, what's going on over here? Suffering? This is new and interesting. <laughs> money. People with money always want to feel like they suffered. It's always true. It's always true. Uh, it goes, it, the Buddha was a trust fund kid. The only trust fund kid I've liked. I've never really met many. Just pretending." It's it's pretty cool, though. It's kind of cool. Like, who the fuck throws that away? But it's also weirdly true. You know, the Buddha of our time, Jim Carrey, he said, uh, even he's got down into, like, really religious. He's got a little weird, but really into, like, religious or Buddhist stuff. Uh, because he, he said, I wish everybody got everything they wanted or all the money they needed. This is a Jim Carrey quote, I think. Jim Carrey. Let's look it up. Jim Carrey wishing... People got what they wanted. Uh, the quote by Jim Carrey. I think I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. He's literally the Buddha in, the, in, that's, in that story. Jim Carrey is the really weird Buddha. He, you know, gets everything he ever desired. He got, he got to be everything warts and all all this riches and successes and it didn't it didn't mean shit it didn't mean shit not this isn't to make myself feel better uh maybe a little bit i live in a studio but you know i don't i don't dislike it i kind of like it like i do like it but if i if i if i convinced myself riches and everything else would make me happy and that was the only thing i would hate all of this and even Jim Carrey can't be happy. Like, you know, he's probably a little mentally ill, of course, but a lot of us are. A lot of, it doesn't, like, that's not to say uh, poor people be happy uh, for being poor. No, I, I don't think, you know, what's that What's that study that says uh, happiness doesn't really increase much beyond $70,000 a year? I, it probably you probably have to adjust that for inflation now, but, but the point to be made is after a certain point, your happiness is dependent on you and your processing of the wild and chaotic world around you. You could get into philosophy, you can get into religions, into Buddhism and all that stuff, or you could just get into conspiracy theories. Boom, boom. I don't know why I said boom, boom, but you can just get into conspiracy theories because I used to be more into cons uh, conspiracies do exist. Uh, I think QAnon is ridiculous. I think, uh, uh, are there, I mean, you know, Jeffrey Epstein stuff is real. QAnon is still ridiculous though. Is there something in my hand? Uh, QAnon is still ridiculous. And so are a lot of other conspiracy theories, flat earth, um, anti-vax to me point of view. Uh, it's a little ridiculous too. Um, are the pharmaceutical companies pretty scummy? Shitty, yes. But we can't keep throwing 
everything out because one thing is tr- one bad thing is true. I don't know, man. This I hope this is entertaining. I hope, but this is what I like to talk about. So I guess I got to do that because I care about this thing. So yeah, it's like the even the Buddha knew facing suffering was the way to be happier. Because just, just think about what we all do. All of us that give into our worst selves of just avoiding things and not facing things. And does that make you enjoy shit? Mm. It, it doesn't make you not enjoy everything. But it takes so it mutes some enjoyment. You know, you could you could succeed in some things. You're like, man, ah, but I'm still caught up in bullshit. I still haven't faced shit. Like you could you could uh you could succeed in order to run away from everything, and then you get real high levels. You don't enjoy it. You can get like what's that what's that award where you get like an Emmy, a Tony, and an Oscar? You got Grammy. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and a Tony. You can get the EGOT if you cared about the arts. You could get an EGOT. But if, all, if the way you got there was to run away from everything, like, you'd just be the Buddha. You'd just be the Buddha that needs to give up on everything and face reality. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, th- I think I say this stuff out loud for myself is also what I'm saying it. And I hope it doesn't come out preachy because this is stuff I need to learn and or reinforce. But yeah, so like, uh, but yeah, I'm also like looking up, uh, just reading, listening to philosophy stuff. Like, it's also funny, like learning about philosophy, like how smart some of these people were and simultaneously incredibly dumb. Like, uh, so like Heraclitus this dude, uh, let's see, when when did when was he around? Heraclitus, five thirty five to four seventy five B.C., ancient Greek pre Socratic Ionian philosopher and native native of the city Ephesus, part of the Persian Empire at the time. Uh, he was a pretty smart dude, I guess, and uh, scientific cosmologist, a metaphysician, and a religious thinker, an empiricist, and a rationalist, and a mystic, eventual thinker, and a revolutionary developer of logic. One who denied the law of non-contradiction. The first genuine philosopher and anti-intellectual obscurantist. Okay, it's a lot of stuff I'd have to unpackage when I'm better at this stuff. But, uh, considered misanthrope, was subject to depression, bingo, bingo. Became known as the weeping philosopher. But he, he was pretty damn smart, and he thought himself really smart. And then he ended up getting like, uh, what was the what was the sickness? Illness and death. Uh, he got dropsy, which is basically edema. He got fluid retention and all this shit. And I think the doctors are going to try to help him. But he's like, well, it's just, it's kind of like what's happening now. He's like, well, I, I know better. So he's like, I'll find it. If uh, I might be getting it a little wrong, but he's like, I know better. I'll, I'll, I'll not listen to you guys and I'll figure it out. And I think he like buried himself in cow manure because he thought like the heat and the stuff uh, could suck out the excess fluids from his body. And I think he just died in cow manure, which is like, you know, whatever. Like if you're going to die, you're going to die. But it's just kind of funny that like literally you'd bury yourself in shit than rather listen to admit that other people might know something. 
<laughs> it's just also kind of funny. Like you fly a little too close to the to the sun or what that stuff. But I also just find it kind of entertaining because, like, some of these people are, like, super smart and dumb. You can never – you you could pursue stuff, but you're still the idiot. You're still a dumb kid at times. And uh, I remember there's a guy named Diogenes. I, I hope I'm going to say his name. But this dude, I think this dude was uh, – I think he was – helped define – helped do logic Let's see. According to one story, Diogenes went to the Oracle at Delphi to ask her for advice and was told he should deface the currency. Following the debacle on Sinop, the Oracle meant they should deface the political currency rather than actual coins. Troubled to Athens and made his life school to challenge established customs and values. He argued that instead of being troubled about the true nature of evil, people merely rely on customary interpretations. Basically, it was like, ignore shit. I think. So I think this was the guy, Diogenes, where he would just like kind of be a homeless guy. Yeah. Pictures of him and dogs and stuff like that. He would just be like a homeless guy and would just like challenge people on their beliefs. He's literally like a Twitter troll on the streets. It was just kind of funny. Like, you just imagine like a homeless guy being drunk and dirty and like making, but also. Making people justify their belief systems, and then they a lot of, they were saying like a lot of people just get upset. He's like, so like, uh, um, do you uh, believe in the state? And they'd be like, yeah, I believe in the state, taxes and stuff like that. And he would challenge them to the point where they'd just be like, I don't know why we need roads. Like, I don't, I don't know. That's a bad example, but yeah, he's just a fun homeless dude. According to Diogenes Letteris, when Plato gave a tongue-in-cheek definition of a man, see, this is this is this is recounted tons of times. According to Diogenes Letteris, when Plato gave a tongue-in-cheek definition of man as a as featherless bipeds, Diogenes plucked a chicken and brought it into Plato's academy, saying, "Behold, I've brought you a man." And so the Academy added with broad flat nails to the definition, which is like, it's, it's Twitter trolling. Like, <laughs> like, it's still funny. Like, like, I wish it was a little more fun. All this stuff that's happening now. I wish it was done with an ounce of fun, not the white power symbol, but an ounce of fun. Like, like, I wish, I wish these people would have these debates and there was any sort of humility because you know you want to be right so bad, and all of a sudden you can't you can't be wrong in a funny way. You can't retort with broad flat nails because Diogenes humbled your ass. Like it's like a homeless, deranged guy that ran around with feral like dogs on the street was able to prove you wrong because that's always going to happen. There's always going to be some deranged idiot who's going to make a good point. It's fun. That is fun. I want more of that in life, and maybe I should. Maybe I should be Diogenes. Maybe I found purpose. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'll be Diogenes in downtown LA and just get stabbed or something. Not stabbed. I'll just get sick of like dysentery or something. And uh, so, like Aristotle and Plato. So I think so. It was. Uh, 
So it was Plato. Was it Plato? So who was it? It was Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. I forget the order. Uh, Aristotle science. All three of these men lived in Athens for most of their lives, and they know each other. Socrates came first, and Plato was a student. And the thing is, and Plato was a student. Okay, okay. Socrates and Plato. And then Aristotle, I believe, after that. Uh, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle are the only three with were in Athens, blah, blah. So yeah, uh, and I, I remember I was looking into this more. Plato was accidentally kind of woke. I, I found this article where it's like blah blah blah. We're all becoming pl Platonists now, and that's not good. But there, I, I haven't read the whole article. But Plato was accidentally woke. Like he he said, like women and slaves were valid and could be taught all these things. Like he wanted to challenge all this stuff. Uh, but he, he was also a little odd Plato. He, like, he believed in the realm of forms. And I think that was just like this idea that there was a way to, something created everything. And it's kind of religious, right? But it's also like, there was no, he, they were trying to get to proving things. And the, the, I wish I understood the realm of forms more. I wish I was paying more attention at work. Uh, well, I was doing my work. Uh, the circumstantial demarcation, and Aristotle was like kind of more like Aristotle was kind of like, "Hey, let's live more in reality, and women and slaves are not equal." <laughs> so you know, when you get someone that wanted, wants to be pragmatic of the time, that's what you get. Someone that's like, "Hey, you know, my that guy we learned, and he was pretty smart. He's wrong about women and slaves. Let's let's keep that where it was. Let's keep them out of the market." Uh, the 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 regular market. Uh, so I just found that pretty interesting. It it also kind of brings up that argument, of, you know, like when people kind of like we dig up stuff from people in the past, and they're like, "There's no excuse." Some people are like, "There's no excuse for people to have been racist and sexist in, like, say, early America," and then some people are like, "Yes, there is an excuse. That was the time." And then they'd be like, they could just point to like, well, Plato wasn't. <laughs> so there's, I guess there's that. Because there's part of you that wants to give some excuse because it's so easy to give into a belief system when it's prevalent. Because um, even Thomas Jefferson had slaves. And apparently, I don't remember if this is true. I heard about this recently. He had slaves, right? And then in the... When they're writing the Constitution, I think when they're ratifying the Constitution, there was a, a section that he brought up from Virginia, I think it was Virginia, to make to say slaves deserve freedom. But Virginia was like, ah, and they took it out. Like, his constituents took it out. Like, that's how close some of these things are sometimes, of, like, bad people could end up trying to be good. But the time will also not to make excuses for Thomas Jefferson. Uh, that's not I'm not trying to be an apologist, um, but it's very interesting. How close it comes every like a lot of times. And. 
And uh, there's people that believed all that shit was wrong back then, too, of course. So it's very, it's very interesting. And you wouldn't know any of this shit if you never read or listen, just listen to a podcast. It's fun. It's fun. Jim Carrey's Buddha, and he's still unhappy. Um, Plato, Socrates. Socrates. I think this is all I really wanted to talk about today. I mean, uh, was it entertaining? Maybe. Or I should learn. A, I should read into why people don't like Plat- Platonist Plato people. I remember my Spanish teacher. I think he was a sophist. I think he. I think that's what you know. Old. You can't trust your memory. But I remember learning about sophists recently in that podcast. Uh, and then I re- I started learning about them, and I was like, I don't know that I respect sophists. Like his, I, I remember his argument of like, you want the educated. His idea that he told me, my Spanish teacher, if I remember correctly, is that he believed that the educated should be pushed into positions of authority, or we should be ruled by the educated people. Because of what's happening now, <laughs> because we just keep electing dumbass politicians that play on, play us. They play us over and over. Uh, so in a way, I don't disagree with my Spanish teacher who helped guide me in philosophy a little bit. He wouldn't tell me what to believe. He would just hand me books, intros to philosophy, and all this stuff. Uh, he wouldn't tell me what to believe, but he's he just told me he's like I'm more of a sophist. So maybe he meant like a a new interpretation of sophist because old sophists were just like they were smart, but they were just like lawyers. All they would do is just argue cleverly until they won. So basically, politics now is what it is. It's like yeah, they just argue cleverly. It's like it's like they were kind of like grifting trolls almost. They were like. Myelianopolis, you know, things like that. And uh, so I don't know that I could fully respect. I could respect the trolliness a little bit, but I was like, be ruled, be, be ruled by more grifters. Uh, we already, we already have that, but it would be fun because it, it's, it's not working anymore. Right. All our, all our systems aren't working. Why don't we just, why don't we just like pick educated people and like, Enforce, like, all right, we want all our freedoms, but if someone gets any high status that we respect, we'll just force them into positions of power. Like, <laughs> like that, that could be the only compulsory workmanship ever now, from now on. No, no forced labor of any kind, except for the very educated. You're, you're real smart and you debate really well. And we respect it and trust it. We're going to force you into presidency, into office and things like that. That would be fun. That would be, that would be a game show America should get behind. Like who, like compulsory leadership, because those are the people you want. The people that are reluctant to be in power are the ones you want. You don't want the people that are eager and, and know they just fully believe in themselves. You don't want those people. I remember when I was still in my church. I still my Catholic church. Um, there was one youth leader guy. I think he was kind of a youth leader briefly. I forget his position, but everybody respected him. And I think he had, had been married or something. And, uh, and everybody in the church just felt it necessary to push him into priesthood. He had a kid and everything. But apparently, like, there's exceptions to be made if, like, 
It's almost like you could annul your marriage and your kid. <laughs> your kid? I don't know if you could annul your kid. But uh, there's a there's apparently a path in the Catholic Church to allow a dude to still be a priest, not a deacon, a full-on priest, even after having been married and having a kid. But people liked and respected him, and he wanted no more power. People pushed him into this position. And they're like, we'll pay you, we'll pay you. And then they kept pushing him. Those are the people you want. Those are the people that are reluctant to be there. Those are the people you want in power. The people, the people that's, that are hard not to respect. Cause that's, those are, there's no guarantee. Like someone could play a real coy game and pretend to be that person. But how much harder is that? How much harder is it to like pretend you don't want power when you secretly want it? You know? I feel like that would be, a, that should be, you know, I should sell that as a game show, honestly. Not really, not like, not really, but it'd be fun to like push, get like popular educated figures like philosophers and scientists and artists and stuff like that. And then just push them into like trying to solve solutions in a game show. I think that'd be really funny. Just get like Russell Brandt on the board of like, like the secretary of health or whatever, like just get Russell Brand to fight homelessness and addiction and get like Neil deGrasse Tyson to create a administration to kill all flat earth people. I'm kidding. Uh, that's probably going to get me kicked off YouTube or something. Just push people into these positions. Even if it's just a game show, that would be a lot of fun. A game show might have more <laughs> promise to change things than, than what we have now. That would be fun. I, you know, maybe there's something to work with there. I don't know. I had fun. This has uh, been, I guess, this technically the second episode of um, Talking Smack with Ricky Mac. I don't know. I'm not very married to the name, but let me know what you guys think. Uh, thank you. Take care and have fun. Peace.